Good morning, America. Good morning. <laughs> All right. Grab your Bibles and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Oh, okay. Sorry. Um, Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Um, we've been, as of beginning of the fall, um, four weeks ago, we've been studying the book of Ecclesiastes, and <laughs> we've had a well of a time. Um, it's been awesome. So this week, we're in chapter 3, um, verses 1 to 15. Um, um, I'm going to read, and what I would love for us to do is stand um, for the reading of God's Word. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1 through to 15 reads, For everything there is a season. And a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born, and a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek, and a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to cast away, a time to tear, and a time to sow, a time to keep silence, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. Verse 9. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear because before him. That which is already has been, that which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. This is God's word. Have a seat. God, I ask that you would enable us to hear from you this morning. God, we are desperate to hear and experience you in a way this morning that leaves us in awe of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Amen. Um, we just got a church office, everybody. Yes. Um, we needed it. It's um, been a while since we had anything like that. Just haven't had anything like that. And most of our work has been done in public places like um, coffee shops and restaurants and stuff like that. And so as God begins to um, really grow his church numerically. There's so many things going on, so many activities. Um, we just needed a space um, that we can call um, our home, in a way, um, our headquarters as a church. Um, we've been kind of, you know, there for two weeks. Um, it's not, you know, decorated in any way. It's just, you know, I've just put a little ta a table there and this weird chair and um, we're getting there and we're getting two of our most skilled and creative interior decorators, Taylor and Savannah, um, to help us make it look nice and presentable. But now it doesn't, but that's fine. Um, I was there yesterday studying for this passage and when I came out and I was on my way home and I locked the door and I started to go down the stairs, I saw a young man sitting on the stairs. And I walked past him because I thought, oh my gosh, that's scary. What is he doing there? He's not supposed to be doing there. there. Um, he had a cigarette that wasn't lit. Um, lit, what a word. It's been used in so many different ways now. And so I walked past him, I went to my car, and as I was walking to my car, a thought popped into my mind, and that was, you need to go and engage with him. And I was like, gosh, I need to get home, I've got a lot to do, but then I was like, oh, I'm going to go. Um, and as I was going up the stairs, I thought, man, I've got copies of our, some copies of our Ecclesiastes journals in the office, so I'm going to go and get a copy and give it to him. Um, and so I went back up, I said, went in the office, came down, and I said, hey, my name's Obed, I'm a pastor of a church, this is our office space, um, and here is a copy of the book of Ecclesiastes, and he's kind of looking at it going, what is this? And I said, look, let me explain to you what it is. It's a book in the Bible, um, and it's about this guy who was really wealthy, and he went on a quest um, to discover meaning in life and, life and fulfillment and everything like that. And as he's listened to me, he says to me, man, I need this. And I was like, wow, that's awesome. And so I left him, I gave him my card, and I said, give me a call. But his comment helps us begin to jump into what we're going to study today. Um, and that is this. Um, he knew that this time in his life, whatever he was going through, he needed to hear the message that God has communicated in Ecclesiastes, okay? Um, now, in terms of like his reasons why, it's not clear, um, but the book of Ecclesiastes, one thing that has been really coming to the surface recently is that the book is really God-centered, it really is. And this passage we're going to be studying this morning may not come across as being God-centered, but it is. It absolutely magnifies who God is and how he's in control of everything, 
But for the passage we read, especially the first eight verses, it's really popular, isn't it? It's a well-famous um, passage talking about a time for this and a time for that. And for most of you, um, you know that there was a band called The Birds. Um, have I pronounced it right? The Birds. They were an American rock band that were formed in Los Angeles in 1964, and they had a hit single titled Turn, Turn, Turn. I'm not going to try and sing it. But the song is basically word for word, okay, um, um, the, the lyrics of the song is word for word of Ecclesiastes 3. They've basically taken Ecclesiastes 3, put music to it, and got a hit single out of it. To this day, I heard the lead singer um, decided to give a percentage of the royalties to a charity in Israel <laughs> just because he knew that he literally ripped off um, Ecclesiastes from the Bible. So he feels good about that. In recent times, um, the hip-hop artist Drake um, released a hit single, and he titled it Laugh Now, Cry Later. Um, and that song, if he thinks it's, you know, the whole idea of the song is his, you know, original idea, it's not. He's probably inspired somewhat by this passage we're going to study. The introduction to this famous poem is a poem rightly highlights the fact that everything and every activity on earth has its time. The poem does a good job helping us see the absurdity of life because each activity cancels the other out. And so this morning, we're going to take a closer look at this really well-known poem. And as I said, what we're going to discover is more of who God is and how he works in our world. And I'm going to help us do this with three headings. The first heading is the seasons of life. The second will be the frustrations in life. And the third will be the beauty of life. Okay, And so let's start with the first. The first is the seasons of life. The poem begins with these words, a time to be born, and a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted. Okay, what's going on here? These are stark realities that define every human life. What does this mean? We all have a date of birth, and we all will have a date of death. All right? You didn't decide when you are going to be born, and you will not decide when you will die, okay? I've got three beautiful kids, and I was fortunate enough to witness them come into this world, and when you witness anything like that, as crazy as it is, okay? Um, I, I'm in the room, and my wife is, like, going through a hard time, okay? I just... <laughs> I'll just leave it there, um, and I'm like, this is crazy, this is weird, but hey, it's awesome when it all happens, and you hear the baby cry, um, and you get to hold your baby in your arms, it's just a priceless experience, okay? The birth of a child, even though it comes with many challenges, is one of the most exhilarating experiences known to man, but the death of a person 
especially if they were close to you, is one of the most devastating experiences known to man. And I would guess that in a room of this size, most of you are familiar with these life experiences, the life experiences of a time to be born and a time to die are experiences we all very we all know very well. Human life is not the only living organism that begins and ends. Plants also have a beginning and an end. You see it in the second part of verse 2, a time to plant, a time to pluck up what is planted. Obviously, this is using agriculture um, to illustrate something. Um, um, to illustrate something, this summer, like most summers, I've got a green thumb, and I'm not boasting, I just have. I love planting and gardening. I do, I love it. And every summer, I go and get a bunch of tomato plants, and I plant them, and they give us a bunch of tomatoes. And recently, as of two weeks ago, I uprooted them because they were done and they weren't bearing any more fruits. There's a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. Look at verse 3. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. Just so you know, before we go on, let me clarify that this is not encouraging us or advocating that these emotions and actions should be practiced by us. Okay, um, Daniel and Jonathan Aiken say this. They say, now, remember that these are descriptions of reality, not prescriptions for what to do. Your takeaway from this message is not, I need to go kill someone. People hear all kinds of things that preachers do not say. I agree with that very much. So let's be clear. Ecclesiastes 3 is not a license to kill. Okay? Sometimes... Life is brought to a tragic end. Other times, life is preserved through miraculous healing and healing through treatments and medication. Not only is there a time to kill and heal, there's also a time to break down and a time to build up. Right? If you live in San Diego or any major city, you notice construction everywhere. And most of the time, what's happening is that old buildings are condemned. They're being destroyed and new buildings are being built on top of them, okay? Verse 4, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. In life, you will encounter moments of indescribable joy and also moments of deep pain. We enjoy birthday parties, graduation celebrations, Christmas dinners, and these experiences fill our hearts with joy and laughter. But then there's the diagnosis, the loss of a job, the end of a relationship, the death of a loved one that causes us to grieve bitterly. There are occasions of celebration that get us on the dance floor that get us dancing the night away. But sometimes those times are brought to a screeching halt. The DJ stops the music, he exits the party, and the pastor takes the stage and does his best to comfort our troubled souls. 
You may be laughing today, but you could very well be weeping tomorrow. Some of you here this morning may be overcome with grief, but there's a possibility, and this is hard for you to believe, there's a possibility that soon, not then later, you'll be experiencing joy. Verse 4 is true. Life is a bittersweet cocktail of joy and pain. Whoever you are and wherever you're from, life will make sure you experience every emotion in verse 4, pastor friend of mine, Austin Duncan, says, No matter how much you drink and how much you medicate and become apathetic to reality, or how much you live stream, or how much you video game, or how much you binge watch, this is happening. And you can't hide from it completely. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. My wife and I have had our fair share of these two contrasting emotions. Um, 2018 was when our church was launched. It was a great time of celebration. It really was. We had friends and people we know come and support us. And after, we got some bounce houses for the kids, not for the adults, um, some food. And it was a great time of celebration where we rejoiced and laughed and thanked God for what he had done. Seven weeks later, we encountered some trouble. Um, and we had to leave the building we had, and it was just this whole crazy experience. There's a time to laugh and have joy, and there's a time of great sorrow. Verse 5, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. Um, the first section um, of this verse talks about throwing and gathering stones, while the second talks about embracing and not embracing. The second is easy to understand, all right? The verb embrace indicates affection for someone you love, especially in the context of greetings and welcomes. But the first section, a time to cast stones and a time to gather stones, is not so easy to understand. Some of you guys are like, what is that talking about? Is, is it talking about just going out and gathering stones and chucking stones? Who does that now? No one. Could it be something they did in the ancient world? Let's find that out. Okay, some smart people, okay, there's a lot of smart people out there. They spend a lot of time reading and studying, and they've, suggest, they've suggested, right, that it's actually 
this particular, the first section, is actually, wait for it, a metaphor for sexual relations between a man and a woman. This weird <laughs> interpretation comes from the Midrash Wabar, which is an ancient commentary on the Hebrew scriptures. And this is how they interpret this, this, this first section. This is how they interpret it. It says, they, they say, it means a time to cast stones when your wife is clean, menstrually, and a time to gather stones in when your wife is unclean. Really weird, isn't it? Really interesting. And so this, as you can imagine, interpretation is weird and flawed in so many ways. It is, and I definitely don't believe it's talking about that, but I think the right interpretation that makes the most sense is just the literal version of this, and it's the interpretation that talks about agriculture. R. N. Wybray helps us here. He says, it is the need to clear away stones from a field in order to make it suitable for agricultural use and by contrast to the deliberate ruining of an enemy's field by throwing stones into it. That's what they did in the ancient times. I don't know how that applies now in our day and age, but we'll see. Okay, verse 6. A time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away. Sometimes we need to look for something or keep something. Other times we need to give up the search or throw something away. In other words, you have things you need to keep in storage and you also have things you need to take to goodwill and donate. Okay? There you go. Verse 7. Someone said amen. I like that. <laughs> 7. A time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak. The first part of this verse seems to be referring to the ancient practice of people tearing their clothes in times of grief and mourning or repentance. And the second part, a time to be silent, a time to speak, may possibly be about the wisdom of knowing the right time to confront someone or the right time to reframe okay it's about knowing what to say when to say it, and how to say it there's a time to confront people and there is a time to be silent praying and hoping they will repent and change their ways verse 8 a time to love and a time to hate a time for war and a time for peace this is the final stanza in the poem, and the preacher concludes his poem in this way. The first pair, love and hate, are human emotions, okay? While the second pair, war and peace, are manifestations of the first two, okay? Love brings about peace and hate. Love brings about peace and hate often is the source of war. Okay, so you see the connection there. So Daniel Aiken again says, again, the poem does not advocate war or pacifism. It simply describes part of the human experience. Okay, and so that's a brief understanding of what this poem is all about. And so next time you hear the song by the birds, turn, 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 right, and they're singing it joyfully, you're like, well, wait a minute, do you know what you're talking about? Okay, you hopefully have an understanding. And so what is it all about? What's the preacher, okay, 
the, the author of this poem, what is he trying to communicate to us using this poem? Tremper Longman, a scholar, says this. The main point of the poem is that God has established periods, moments, or times for a wide diversity of emotions and activities. Put simply, this is what he's trying to say. Seasons are woven into the fabric of life here on planet Earth. Life comes with highs and lows, ups and downs, bad times, good times, sorrows and joys, and there's nothing you can really do to escape the seasons of life. You just cannot escape it. Some of you here this morning are in a season of joy, in a good season, but others of you are in a tough and gruesome season of life. And if you're in a season of joy and peace and life is good, this is reminding you that this season might not last and that suffering could be on this horizon. And if you're here and you're in a challenging season and life is extremely difficult for you, you may struggle to believe this, but according to this poem and according to scripture, okay, there are good times waiting for you in your future. How then should we respond to this poem? Should we be like, this is awesome? Right? I need to put you know, some of the verse on a nice graphic background and post it. I need to get a tattoo. <laughs> some of you are like fearful right now. Knowing that there are seasons in life and there is a possibility of encountering or entering into a season that is challenging makes you extremely faithful. And I, I'm like that. When things are going well, and some of you are like this, when things are going well, you're always kind of looking around and wondering whether something bad is going to happen. It's the worst feeling. Some of you maybe think that as we're reading this poem and studying it. And so the question is, not just how you're to respond, and your response is, um, is important. But I think more importantly um, than your response, than how you respond, is how the author of this poem responded it after writing it. And we see his response from verse 9. Okay, And the interesting thing about this poem is most of the time people just focus on the first part. Okay, A time to this, a time to that, and it's really cool and it's really clever and creative. But really, do we keep reading? And this is a lesson for us for the importance of not just plucking verses from the Bible, but always looking at the Bible as a whole in context. 
It's very important you do that when you read scripture. When someone sends you a cool little verse, what I want you to remember to do is say, man, that was cool. I'm going to open my Bible and read what came before it and what came after it in order to fully understand it. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to keep reading. And so we've seen the seasons of life. The next thing is we're going to see the frustrations in life. Look at verse 9. What gain has the worker from his toil? Okay, so you get the picture. A time to this, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, and a time for war, and a time for peace, and a time for hate, and a time for love. And then he puts his pen down and says, what gain has the worker from his toil? This is an unexpected response to such a beautiful but complex poem. Why? Because it seems that he's asking questions about the benefits of his job. Why does he say what he just said? Why does this follow the poem? Um, why is this the first thing the preacher says after writing such an epic poem? This is why. If the seasons of life are unavoidable, then what do people really get for all their hard work? You work so hard to put food on the table. You work so hard to pay the bills and stay alive. And guess what? You do the same thing, right? You work hard to put food on the table to pay the bills, and then you work hard to put food on the table to pay the bills to stay alive, and it's this repetition. This is what we're doing, and so the question is true. If seasons of life cannot be avoided, then what do we really get from everything we do and all the hard work we do? I met someone recently who was super dissatisfied, okay, with their job, um, and they were asking the same question. <laughs> they were like, look, I sell this and I do that. What's the point? I get up in the morning, I go to work, I do my job, I come home, I eat food, I go to bed, and I keep doing What's the point? Why am I doing all of this if it's not going to change anything? This is one of the things that makes life so frustrating. And because of this frustration, I love what the preacher does. He goes on in verse 10 um, to, um, to, to, to give us an understanding of why he's frustrated and why, where all of this is coming to. Look at verse 10. It says... I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. That's the ESV. I really like the NIV. The NIV says, I have seen the burden, okay, God has laid on the human race. In other words, the frustration we live with is a God-given burden, 
the frustrations we live with is a God-given burden. You cannot deny, after hearing a poem like this, living the life that you've lived in this broken and fractured world, that life is often a burden. It's hard, it's difficult, it's challenging. And the reason why life is extremely challenging and frustrating is this, because we cannot control it. Because there's nothing we can do to make sure life goes exactly the way we want it to. This is the frustration. This is why he responds with, what gain has the worker for him to do? Because I think we're working hard, okay, in order for life to go the way we want it to. That's why at the heart of the, essentially, why we work so hard is so that we can plan out life and make sure life goes the way we want it to, but sooner or later, what we'll discover is that life never pans out exactly the way we want it to. And if you don't believe me, this is the most crucial lesson we all learned in 2020, the year of COVID. How many of us started 2020 with, this is what I'm going to do, this is where I'm going to go, and what happened? Everything, every plan was put on hold and things had to change. Beginning of 2020, stood up at the, ch at the church, said, we're going to walk through um, the book of Acts. That's what we're going to do. Said to Eleanor, this is what we're going to do. We're going to put our kids in school. All of that, like our normal year, we're going to go on vacation to here, and we're going to travel America. And then what happened? COVID didn't just hit, but we got into some weird um, immigration issues, and we had to quickly pack our bags and leave. It's crazy, isn't it? Walter Kaiser says, all life unfolds under the appointment of divine providence since everything has its time from God or the labor of a person by itself cannot change the time, circumstances, or control of events. In light of the unpredictable seasons of life and the frustration it creates in us, there's hope. And that's where the preacher takes us to next, all right? So we've seen the seasons of life, the frustration in life. Lastly, let's look at the beauty of life. Look at verse 11. It says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. This is like, you've seen it. He's like, what's the point of working? What's the point of working? It's a burden God has given to man to be busy with. And then he says, he has made everything 
beautiful in its time. Just so you know, this is an extremely difficult verse to understand. You're going to see why later. You might leave going, wow, I'm just way more confused than I was. That's fine. God will help you. Um, because listen, listen to this. The phrase he has made, okay, is talking about God's initial act of creation. But it can also refer to everything he has done since the creation of the world. He has made God creation everything he has done since the creation of the world. The word used for beautiful here um, appears several times in um, the book of Songs of Songs, okay? And it's used to describe the bride being delightful in the eyes of the groom. And so the first part of verse 11 could be translated in this way. God has made everything good and right so that everything fits perfectly into its own place and time. Let me say that again. You see that, that amazing phrase, he has made everything beautiful in its time? This is how it can be translated. God has made everything good and right so that everything fits perfectly in, into its own place and time. Again, Daniel Aiken helps us really understand this more. He says, God is the one in charge of these times and appointed activities, and he has appointed or ordained all of these things as part of his bigger hidden plan. You guys doing well? Right? Right, sit up straight, lean forward. We are going into some deep waters here, all right? One of the vital things, okay, to not overlook in all of this, okay, is this. Even though things do not make sense, God promises that from his perspective... He's working in the background to make all things beautiful in its time. And so, we will live our lives from the birth, from our birth to our death, not understanding all the purposes of God in our joys and sufferings. We may live lives full of suffering, or we may live lives with little or no suffering, whatever life we live, the most important thing we need to recognize is that God is in full control, but he is under no obligation to reveal to us his master plan. And this is why it says later on that, look, 
God, God has made everything beautiful in his time. And it goes on to say, also he has put eternity into man's heart. Yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. God is fully aware and in control of everything and everyone and every activity here on planet earth. And he is piecing it all together to fulfill his great and glorious plan. But what frustrates us most is that most of what he's doing, he doesn't reveal to us. Because God is God, and he's under no obligation to reveal to us his master plan. But this is the hope. In the end, we can trust that, God, that because God is in complete control, everything will work out, okay? Everything will work out, not just in an okay or all right or decent way. We can be confident that everything will work out in a way that is beautiful, that is perfect, that is delightful. So what is this teaching us to do? to trust God and be confident that his plans for you are good. He is fully aware of all of your days and he is sovereign over the details and seasons of your life and he uses your good and bad experiences, your joys and your sorrows and he is using all of these things to make something beautiful. Some of you here have and may be suffering greatly. And you, absolutely, and this is the reality for all of us, you are finding it hard to see how God can bring about something beautiful in your life. You just are. And it makes sense. It's... it's what we're talking about here, okay, is something that I and so many of us struggle with for seasons of life, ups and downs, highs and lows, sorrows and joy. Life is unpredictable, but life is under the control of a good and great God, okay? So what that means is 
everything, everything and everyone and every activity. And so when we look back at our lives or when we consider our current situation, when life sucks and life is hard, it's incredibly hard for us to believe, for us to actually believe that, wait a minute, God is there and he's alive and he's aware and he's using, he's doing something and eventually you're trying to tell me that something beautiful and good is going to, but that's what scriptures say. I love reading a story of Joseph and I love reading it. Why? Because I know what's going to happen in the end. But put yourself in the shoes of Joseph. Okay, when he's been betrayed by his brothers and when he's been shipped over to Egypt and, in, uh, and wrongly accused and in prison. Like in those moments, we know the end, but he doesn't. And it was only in the end when he saw everything God had done was when he said, man, everyone meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. He wasn't saying that when he was, that, that, what, that statement, that famous saying, didn't appear anywhere. Daniel Aiken says this, God lovingly tells us we are too close to see the big plan, but we can trust him. He has us and he has your pain that seems like a jagged piece of glass. And he says that once you can step back and see the stained glass window, you will see that it is beautiful. Yes, it hurts, but yes, God has you and you can trust him. God is involved in every moment of your life. Nothing has escaped his sovereignty and he fits each, he fits each part into the whole. And I'm sure if you were to take time to look back at your life, you would discover this. You would discover that even in the trying times, God somehow was at work. And that if you looked back with his eyes and asked to see what you couldn't see, you would know that He was at work. He was at work. Um, next part of verse 11 talks about how God has put eternity into man's heart yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Um, the idea of eternity in man's heart talks about how we're hardwired into um, um, eternity is hardwired into our being and which basically means that God has put within us a longing to know more than we know now and to experience more than we experience now. Um, our inability to control life, our ongoing dissatisfaction with the things in this world, our continued longing for more than what this world offers is what God uses to draw and compel us to himself. And so you could say that the frustrations of this world, right, the, 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 the 
inability to understand all that God is doing, right? And the ongoing, um, ongoing desire to know and experience things is what God uses to draw us to himself. Because at the end of the day, the most valuable the most valuable thing you can have in your life is God's presence, God himself. That's what it's all about. So I think about this a lot. Whenever I encounter some crazy time, I think to myself, I ask myself this question. I say, would it be enough to continue to suffer knowing that I was in God's presence, or would I choose to, for this suffering not to happen without me being in God's presence? You know, what would I prefer? And I think that is the challenge here, and that the most important thing is God being with us. And if God is with us, that should absolutely be enough for us. And I think this is what this passage is um, leading us to. Ecclesiastes 3 is a timely reminder that the time we have doesn't really belong to us. It is God's time and it's in God's hand. Um, Psalm 31:14 says, "But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. And so, is this a description of your life, this psalm? Have you come to terms with the fact that you're not in control? Or would you rather know that the God who loves you with an everlasting love and gave everything up for you is in control. May the knowledge of who God is and his unwavering presence in our lives and in our times be of great comfort to you. I don't know how you're going to apply it to yourself, but I pray and hope that God's Spirit would take everything we've talked about this morning and really, really make it a reality in your life. Let's pray. God, our lives are in your hands for sure. Even though life is hard for us to understand, even though Life and how things are going to pan out is out of our control. 
God, thank you for the truth that you are a God who is not distant, but you are a God who is with us. And you are with us at every location, and you are with us in every situation. You are with us in every season. And your presence with us is not passive. You're not just standing and watching, but you are actively at work in every season of our lives. And we know for sure because of your love that was displayed in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we know for sure you are making everything beautiful. So God, give us patience. And a huge part of the patience we need is to simply trust you. Trust you. God, this morning, may you fan the flames of our trust in you. This is, we cannot, I cannot do this. I could keep preaching for two more hours, but... The idea of us increasing and growing in our trust in you can only come from you. So I pray that you would do it in the lives of everyone this morning. Do it, Lord. You are sovereign and you are in control and you are faithful. So we thank you for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Before we move on to standing and singing this is what we want you guys to do just where you're at now by yourself reflect on everything we've talked about and pray you can read the scripture again but please do not be do make the best use of these moments of reflection and singing I pray that as you do, you would find great comfort in who God is and how much he loves you and his commitment to you.